Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. There's this sort of idea that your work is your life and they're your family and all these things. I, I just always really found it hypocritical and it and it is a way that you can exploit labor from people is this type of way of saying like we're all in it together when you're not structurally in it together and so I think that that was also that it's also something that really appeals to me about co-ops and about you know companies that are invested in labor rights. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. It is officially December, so let's start as we... <laughs> is that supposed to be cold? Is yeah. it There's a chill in the air. The snowy chill. <laughs> um, we're going to start, as we always do, by th- doing our wonderful Patreon shout-outs. This is our special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who subscribed at the name in the credits tier for the month of November. So a huge warm mm-hmm. pixel therapy thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Grace, Jackie, Ben, and Cortland. Thank you all so much for your thank support. You. We really appreciate it. And remember, if you, loveliness listener, want to get your name in the credits, you should hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can unlock monthly bonus episodes for just $2 a month, or chip in a little extra to show your support and get that shout out in every episode. Of course, if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, and I imagine you are if you are listening to this episode, there are lots of other ways to support the show, too, uh, which includes sharing us with your friends and family and rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. And you can also show your support by dropping us a comment or a question to read on the show uh, by just sending us an email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We would really love to hear from each and every one of you. Mm -hmm. All right. It's time to get cozy. Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. Put on your warm, fuzzy winter socks. Mm. Get a get a snuggly blanket. Mm. <laughs> get some big, a big old marshmallow. Put big it in old, your cup. <laughs> in your cup. Nothing else. Just the <laughs> just marshmallow. The marshmallow. <laughs> just a marshmallow in your cup. Uh, you know, do that thing where you get in the chair and you kind of wiggle your butt. Yeah, uh, get really get, deep just, in there. Like, get deep into that. You're cushion, not getting up for right? a while. <laughs> no, no, we're very verbose. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you? Jamie, I'm great. And I'll tell <laughs> you and everyone why. Yes, please. <laughs> I came home yesterday to a delightfully festive package sticking out of my mailbox. And when I opened it, it was a early gift, birthday gift from Jamie. Oh. Oh. And it had an adorable card. That said, I think it said like you're one of the Gouda ones, and it was a picture of uh, two cheeses on the front. <laughs> I love a, a pun and a brie. And my partner actually asked me. He was like, "So which one's you and which one's Jamie?" And I said, "Jamie's the Gouda because she's always dependable to be Aww. like someone like a flavor that is welcome at the party <laughs> and just instantly 
brings warmth and delicious cheesiness to any social gathering. <laughs> Definitely and lots of cheesiness. <laughs> I said, I'm the Brie because I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, come on now. I think you're devaluing yourself a little bit. And, and a Brie. Brie's great. Who doesn't like a Brie? Yeah, true. Love a nice... Very spreadable. Mm, very sp- Oh, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> That's not what I was thinking. I was no longer comparing the breed to you. <laughs> it's like very smooth and yes, <laughs> <sweet>. thank you. <laughs> oh my god, no, I love yeah, I love a good breed. So yeah, <laughs> so the gift, the gift itself was this absolutely unexpected. It was like one of those things that I absolutely covet but would never buy for myself. Mm. It was this amazing God. I think of that's war. a sweet spot for gifts, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah. Like <laughs> buy really somebody someone it. they're not gonna buy themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um like and I I don't know, I'm someone who is notoriously hard to gift for because if I want something, I just get it. But like <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's this awesome like PlayStation, God of War, um, Leviathan Axe hoodie. And it's like super, I mean, not that, not that there's any shape in being not subtle, but it's kind of like subtle. Like I'm a huge God of War nerd. Like it's like this gray, (laughs) dark gray hoodie and it has all these cool like symbols and the axe. And the hilarious part is that I was, I had messaged Jamie to express my enthusiasm (laughs) and thank her. And at the same time, we both messaged each other. OMG, the best part of the sweater is the fact that the zipper pull is a little Leviathan axe. Mm -hmm. Then we started cracking up because, yeah, the best part is this little like metal, like so intricate, intricate, like engraved um, zipper pull of Kratos' axe at God of War 4. So, um, y'all. Jamie's the best. I love it. And I'm going to be wearing it every day this month. Wow. Well, I'm very glad that you liked it and uh, very happy to be able to give you something that you like for your birthday. Because you're a special person to me and I Aww. want you to have nice things. Um, but also, like, I w- <laughs> honestly, this, this hoodie was like, it was meant to be, it was meant mm-hmm. to be. I saw it initially and I texted your partner, Aaron. I was like, what oh, size yeah. <laughs> hoodie would, would Spencer need? And do yeah. they like zip up hoodies? Because yeah. a zip up hoodie, just because somebody mm-hmm. likes hoodies doesn't mean they like a zip up hoodie. There's True. a big difference between a zip up and a pullover folks. Mm-hmm. I know this is a video game podcast. We're going to get to the video games, but I need everyone to understand that just because somebody <laughs> likes hoodies, pay attention to what kind of hoodie you see them wear because I'm not a zip up person. I, I won't necessarily wear oh, a zip shit. up hoodie. I'm writing this down. <clears throat> Yeah, you will notes. not wear it. Oh my god! Okay. Not usually, not usually, because mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm a fat person, and I just don't like the way the zipper like goes around the rolls. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not not my favorite. Anyway, uh, there was enough time delay in the texting process uh, with your partner <laughs> that by the time I came back to purchase the hoodie, the hoodie was sold out. <gasps> hoodie was sold out. The hoodie was sold out, and I was like, "Well, it wasn't meant to be." Wasn't yeah. meant to be, yeah. but I, they had the, the site that I got this on fangamer.com. We're not sponsored by them, but they have lots of cool video game merch, especially for smaller indie games. So if you like video game stuff, Ooh. here we go. Here's your video game topic. Go to fangamer.com. Lots of cool stuff. Um, they have plushies, they have posters, they have clothing, lots, lots of cool stuff, all bunch of different games. Anyway, they have a thing where you can like say, notify me if this item becomes available again. Oh shit. And like two weeks went by <gasps> and then I got the notification. 
And oh, I was like, it's wow. perfect. It's perfect. It was just in game. time. It was just yeah. in time. And in that time, I was still like, I had other ideas of what I might get for you, but nothing uh-huh. felt quite <laughs> as good. Anyway, it all worked out. It all worked out. I'm glad you got the hoodie. I'm glad you like it. I love it. Oh, my God. Happy birthday. Happy Thank early you, birthday. Thank you, friend. That's, that's really thoughtful. I, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it means a lot. Um And speaking of end of year rituals, (laughs) um, something else that happened yesterday was that I did my Spotify wrapped. I don't know (laughs) for anyone who uses Spotify, maybe you already know this, but there's this thing where every year at the end of the, or maybe if you don't use Spotify at the end of the year, they sort of analyze all your data. (laughs) It's, I mean, not in a creepy way, maybe a little bit. It's it's like one of those things where like, yeah, you're, you're learning probably too much about me, but Also, you're presenting it back to me in a way that's really fun because I get to way. I get to navel gaze and like yeah get some insight into like all of my ridiculous tendencies. So. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but yeah, they put together this sort of analysis of your top genres and the top songs you listen to, and uh, they did this cute thing this year where they were like, "Here's your listening aura," and all of my music was chill and powerful was my mm. aura, mm. and um, uh. One of the things they do is tell you like uh, if you how many minutes you've listened and also um, like who you're listening to the most and what song. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so my top two songs this year were <laughs> Out of the North from the Assassin's Creed Valhalla soundtrack <laughs> and Behind the Mask from the Persona 5 soundtrack. Wow. Yes, I am still yes. listening to the Persona 5 yes. soundtrack on almost I mean, a daily basis. <laughs> I mean, you must, everyone must, everyone must. Honestly, like Persona 5, I think because w- when you're grinding in a game like a Japanese RPG, there the background music has to be engaging enough that it's still fun to listen to after hundreds of hours, but it's yeah. also can it can fade into the background. And so mm-hmm. like one of my favorite things to do is put like some persona songs on repeat and that's my behind the scenes like working my working music that's that's keeping yeah. me going, my cafe noises, if you will. One hundred percent. I've absolutely broken like the Spotify rap actually showing me uh, music that I would put on like just to listen to the music mm-hmm. and it is entirely like this is the chill shit that you put on while you're working all day yeah in your in your work from home office by yourself with the dog sleeping on the floor <laughs> um so yeah I mine for the for the second year in a row now uh but the outer wild soundtrack and the stardew valley soundtrack are featured very high on my Spotify wrapped. So Oh my god, that's so funny that you also listen. I also do this, the Stardew Valley soundtrack. It's a good one. When I'm working. Because it's, it's a good one. I mean, in that game, it's truly like you could spend hours and hours and hours listening to Concerned Apes chill chill beats. But mm-hmm. I what I do is I don't listen to them on Spotify. I there's this lo-fi remix of like Stardew Valley seasonal sounds and it goes so hard. It's on YouTube. I'll find a link. You gotta send this. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna send it to you. I'll drop it in the show notes because it's just so good. Uh, Yeah, because I I also like never pictured but in frequent rotation is the Bug Snack soundtrack which is on YouTube. Oh my god, yes. Yes. Same. Yeah, some good stuff. You are a genius. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. The Bug Snack soundtrack too is so good because it it sort of follows the narrative arc of the game. Yeah, like 100%. the soundtrack sounds out, starts out very like chill and kind mm-hmm. of 
happy, happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then as it, it, it ups in intensity and darkness mm-hmm. and oh my mm-hmm. god, it's, it's yeah. perfect. I love it. I love it. Oh my god, but yeah. Spotify told me I'm in the top 1% of listeners to the Assassin's Creed Valhalla soundtrack, so. <laughs> That's really on brand for it you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you playing any video games, though, Spencer? Nah, I just listen to the soundtracks. <laughs> Fair. I, uh, <laughs> so, actually, yet again, I love when this happens, but the two of us have been playing the same game. Sure um, playing this awesome 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 open world exploration game called sable mm-hmm. um sable is developed by shedworks which i i really love the name of this <laughs> duo um it's a two-person game development studio founded in 2014 in a garden shed in north london <laughs> just like it's such a badass yeah i don't know it's just like and also uh, charming. What, should, what should we call our studio well we work in a shed shedworks done done Done. Um, oh, and, and it has a, oh, that's why I recognize the soundtracks by Japanese Breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I recognized, I was like, this sounds so hauntingly familiar. And I'm mm-hmm. glad that it is hauntingly familiar. Um, it's a good one. It's going to have to work into my my Spotify rotation, actually. Absolutely. Just fast forward next year's Spotify wrapped. <laughs> oh, my God. So, Jamie, how's it? How, how are your initial impressions of Sable? Uh, I'm I'm really really liking Sable. Uh, as you said, it's it's an open world exploration game, and it's incredibly chill uh, for an open world exploration game. There's no <laughs> this um, this almost sounds like a negative, but there's no real stakes mm-hmm. in Sable. You're never really in a position where you might die. There's no combat. Mm-hmm. In the game, like the worst that could happen is that you know you encounter a bug and you like clip through the world mm. and you have to restart. But but there's really no uh, like end game state that I've found yet. And I I'm probably fifteen or so hours in, mm. maybe a little bit less. Um, but the game really just very naturally and in a very calming and soothing way uh, encourages you to go out and find what there is to find in this world and follow whatever path that you want to take to get there. And I think it's uh, rare that games can pull you through a world with such a... Um, it's not like the incentive is to have the experience and to maybe find something interesting, it's not the incentive is rarely like that. I'm trying to make a lot of money. Like mm. commerce isn't re- there's not really a strong commerce system in the game. There's not a lot of you know I'm not upgrading armor or weapons or anything. Like the incentive really is just to explore and see the visuals and see the world and meet new people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think that's really special. I think Sable's a really special game. Mm-hmm. What about you? How? What are your initial impressions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it. I think off the top of my head, it reminds me of like Breath of the Wild with no combat, um, yeah. or a mix of Breath of the Wild and Borderlands. But if Borderlands was like chill and had a cool like are you getting borderlands from like the art style (laughs) yeah like yeah (laughs) so yeah let me back up a little bit so (laughs) in sable you play as sable a young person who has been raised in a desert community in a culture 
in which the face that you put forward to the world is kind of reflective of the role that you play or the contributions you make to the community. Um, something that immediately struck mm-hmm. me in the game is, um, so everyone wears these masks. Um, mm-hmm. As Sable, you are wearing a child's mask, which is traditionally blank. Um, they The game comments on how um, in some cultures, children will add little decorations to their masks to kind of give a hint at their personality. But in some clans, that kind of individual expression is frowned upon. And so mm-hmm. you immediately get this impression of these cultures' values. You know, you're in a harsh world. You're largely scavenging off of uh, the land around you. There are these large abandoned ships. I think I'd love to hear you talk more about, Jamie, and and because every time we talk about the game, uh, Jamie always comments on, you know, what are these these ships, like, where do they come from? What do they mean? And so <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear, have you expand on that part. But, okay. um, you know, everyone, adults around you also are wearing masks. Um, mm-hmm. But you may see, uh, like, someone wears the mask of a, a shoot, what's it, a cartographer. Like, there's someone mm-hmm. who makes maps and uh, gives you information about the areas that you're in. Other people are... Um, like healers or mechanics, people who work with machines. Um, Mm -hmm. There's this underlying um, belief system where the machines themselves have souls um, Mm -hmm. and each machine has a name um, and people are very, they have close bonds with their, with their hover bikes, which are what lots of people use to traverse this, this barren, this land. Um, Mm -hmm. And Asking someone, you know, what's your bike's name? That too is seen as a very, very personal thing to ask, and something mm-hmm. um, that at least initially, at my in my bef- uh, in the beginning of the game, I would walk around like asking someone, like, oh, like what's your bike's name? And they're like, whoa, <laughs> like back up, kid, like I don't even know you. So, um, you know, just already like this very deep and fascinating lore and world building, kind of surrounding the culture you're in. And for Sable, um, it's a very exciting time because each child. Um, embarks on a journey called the gliding where Mm -hmm. they leave their clan where they've been raised and the culture that they were born with and the people that they've known. And they set out with a bike, um, either one that they, that has been given to to them or in the sake of your character, a very special opportunity to build one yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and you go out and you figure out, you know, what type of mask do I want to wear as an adult? What type of person do I want to be? Um, you have the opportunity to explore, to be on your own, learn how to take care of yourself, um, and ultimately decide whether you're going to settle down in a place that you come across out in the world, or if you're going to come back to your clan. Um, and so for a lot of people, you know, there's mention of, of children who have left before you and, and they have not come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this, this just kind of sense of, I don't know, melancholy of, you know, not being attached so much to earthly possessions or, or people and relationships, but this understanding that we're all sort of in this flow of life. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes people stay, sometimes people go, but experiences are things that we're always carrying with us. And um, I don't know, it, it's, it was just a really fascinating world to be sort of uh, born into as this new character. So yeah. Well, and, and I think the game does a fantastic job. You spend you spend about the first hour or so, kind of depending on how long you stretch it out of the game um, with Sable in her her home clan uh, preparing. You know, it, the game starts out right out right away and it starts telling you, OK, you're, you're preparing to go on your gliding mm-hmm. and it gives you these handful of initial uh, quests 
uh, with your clan at the beginning that give you opportunities to get to know a few of the different clan members. And the game does a, a really good job of, of just giving them really, you know, there's no spoken dialogue in the game. Mm-hmm. All the dialogue's presented through through text boxes, and then you're, you can you make a dialogue choice um, with text on the screen. And and there's also parts, though there'll be text boxes that appear that give you, that are almost like literature, right? It's like giving you insight into Sable's thoughts. It'll be like, you know, speaking mm-hmm. what Sable is thinking at mm-hmm. you in text on the screen. So you have some insight into Sable's interior. And at the same time, you're you're having dialogue with some of the other clan members. But, but what it's doing in that whole first section is establishing, you, you very quickly get a strong sense of both Sable's connection to these people. I think mm-hmm. they built, like I felt very connected to these people very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce the name exactly. Cause again, you never hear it, but, but there's mm-hmm. like kind of a motherly figure that they very clearly raised you mm-hmm. um, that Sable calls uh, JD or Jody, J A D I. And the relationship that they have is really beautiful. She's, she says something to Sable about like, you know, no matter what mask you come back with, or if you don't come back at all, like I'm going to recognize you because I know you. And I don't know, there's like a really, um, you just get the sense that these folks, that they they wear these masks and yet there's a closeness that they have to each other despite the separation of actually being able to see each other's faces. Um, There's a lot of mention of how the how attentive they are to the inflection of someone's voice or the look in their eyes because that's kind of all they can see is the other person's eyes and how attentive they are to the person's body language and just their Mm. general energy that i thought was it was really fascinating and also made it clear that despite this you know what we would perceive as a barrier of not being able to actually see someone's face there is so much intimacy between these characters right right at the outset Mm -hmm. they established that and i think that's really important because Sable's going out into the gliding and the game is really telling you, I, I think it's doing this really interesting thing where it's kind of pairing like both the way an open world game works in general. It's taking those um, standards that we're used to of like, okay, here's the open world. I'm going out on my mission. And at the same time, like Sable's mission is to go find her purpose or to have her gliding. And they kind of say that like, it's really up to her how she wants to do that. Like, she could run right out, she could find a path, and she could come right back, mm-hmm. or she could spend years on her gliding. It's really up to her and 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 what she wants to experience in the world, uh, the same as it would be in any open world game. But because they set up that relationship with the clan so well at the beginning, I personally felt when I left, like I missed them. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it did a good job of making me feel like there was something lost by leaving the clan. And, and it actually kind of... Uh, they, they do a thing where they send you, the clan sends you on a final mission for them and you come back and the clan has left because they're actually a nomadic troop. And they're like, this is how the gliding works. They they leave. So she comes back to an empty camp and they're like, you know, we're not going to tell you where we are right away. Like, cause you need to go out on your gliding. Like this mm-hmm. is your time. You need to go make your way in the world before you come back to us. And when you eventually get the letter from, from JD saying like, Hey, here we're back at camp. If you want to come find us again, you can. There was a, I felt an immediate like pull, like I wanted to go see them. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I knew that going to see them meant the end of the, my gliding and the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know. I just thought that was really cool that they made that tension with such a small entry in the beginning. You, know, you, you don't yeah. actually grow up with these characters, and yet they still make you feel very connected to them. And that pull of wanting to come back to them was really powerful. The other thing they set up in that first hour is this almost religious uh, belief in this entity energy Mm. i'm not quite sure that we haven't dug into the lore enough to fully understand it but this thing called the perpetual 
And when you go on your gliding, you actually kind of become one with this energy of mm-hmm. the perpetual. And what it allows you to do, like the way they visualize it in the game, is that when you jump off of things or you're falling from a height, you can hold a button and this like reddish pink bubble will appear around you and it'll allow you to glide. This is why it's called the gliding. It will allow you to glide (laughs) and slowly fall from any distance, glide across great spaces safely. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sable describes this as kind of like this, I don't know, this warm, safe presence Mm -hmm. of the perpetual. And I'm really curious to find out more about like what like what is the perpetual? Where does this energy come from? Yeah. But people only get to exist with the perpetual in this way as the safe bubble when they're on their gliding. So there's also something about this trip of discovery that <laughs> it's something that I don't think we get a lot in this culture. But the idea that like you're at an age where you need to start trying to figure out who you are. And here is a warm, <laughs> safe, uh, supportive environment in which to do that. Yes. And no matter what decision you make or path you take, you have a community that will support you in that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like that, all of that hit me. Oh yeah. Hit me really hard because I think it's something that we, I don't know, we're just kind of starved for that in our modern culture. Mm-hmm. I think we're so pushed through the track of you know, you go to high school and then you go to college and you should know exactly what you want to do. And then you go into your career and that's your life. And this idea that there should be space in growing up to mm-hmm. try new things, to figure out what you want to do, to maybe even just enjoy your freedom Absolutely. of not being tethered down. And that there might be a way to do that in a way that still felt like you were supported and safe and loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I and don't know. You were- that is something that you were supposed to do and it's not making you lazy or mm-hmm. like there's nothing wrong with you for not knowing immediately what path you should take. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm really glad you brought up that point about the perpetual because another thing that really struck me about the game in the early hours was um, I was speaking to a character and they were talking about how the magic that you are able to perform when you are on your gliding and in connection, in true connection and oneness with the perpetual, um, this is a power that slowly fades as you get older. There are some mm-hmm. people who still are able to touch into that power that is given to you uh, as, as, a, as a young person at, at this cusp of adulthood, and they still have it as adults, but it's something that they have to work at and practice every day. Whereas when you are young and, and just setting out on your gliding, it's something that comes like a second nature. It comes very naturally. And that I was sitting with that for a while, like that really touched something inside of me. And I was sitting and thinking about that for a long time. And um, I don't know, I, I think it really... It makes me think about how, as children, um, you know, imagination comes more easily. Storytelling Mm. comes more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Dreams and unhindered dreams and ideas, not thinking about adult logic and practicality, it's so much easier. Um, And as you get older, it's easy to sort of fall into the monotony of adulthood or letting your responsibilities weigh you down and limit your creativity or the time that you would spend daydreaming is seen as time wasted in our very capitalist driven society. But if you do work at it, you can still foster that freedom. You can still, like if you remind yourself that 
you can start a new career at 30, 40, 50, 60. Like if you remind <laughs> yourself that there's no rules to what life has to look like and at any time you can you can make a change and shift the course of your life. Like like it just becomes harder. It becomes harder. It does become physically harder because of course mm-hmm. you do have growing responsibilities as an adult and the choices you make do carry more weight and mean more repercussions for the future. But still like that kind of open-mindedness is something that you can still foster with work. Um, and so mm-hmm. it made me think about that. Um, and it also made me think, it also made me think about, um, you know, the person, the character I was talking to in the game was looking back on their youth and their oneness with the perpetual in a sort of nostalgic way. And they said, you know, like, I'm sad that I can't do those things anymore, but I'm also, I also, I'm comfortable. I'm at peace knowing that I'm in a different place in my life now. And it's not something that I need anymore. Yeah. Um, and so all of like, there's so much in there to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that there's actually a character in the game I encountered that really kind of speaks to that idea of when, when you're older and you want to try to change your path and how complicated that can be, how frowned upon it can be in, uh, in our society, there was a, there's a guard that I encountered who, uh, was trapped. She was traveling. She wanted to go find this bridge and she was going back out into the world on this trip. And, And in the world that they set up, unless you're part of a nomadic clan, like it, that's not really something that anyone would do. They wouldn't just go travel um, just for the sake of seeing something <laughs> or having an experience, they have a job to do. And so they would pretty mm. much stay there and do it. And she was kind of talking about how like she she knew it was like a wild thing to be doing. And like the other guards were kind of like thought that she was she was off her rocker because she wanted to go do this, but it was an experience she wanted to have. And you can go uh, then find her in the world and she's found this thing that she was looking for and you can mm. experience it with, with her. And it was a really... I don't know, it was a powerful moment because yeah, it it it, it was kind of speaking to that notion that it, you are it it's weird when somebody tries to transition careers or shake up their life after a certain age. We definitely view that as like oh, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like what went wrong, right? right? Instead of like the idea that you should just that maybe it's okay to lean into what you want. And that change is a constant and if you if you embrace it even a little bit, you can make big, big things happen in your life. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just sometimes I look back on the smallest choices I made, and I'm and I look at the repercussions now, and I'm like, what? So <laughs> I don't know. It really made me feel the way. I don't know. I felt as a child reading like epic novels where the hero sets out and it feels like the entire world is opening up before you. Um, I, I think to like the lack of combat really contributed to this feeling that like anything was possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I've never really played a game that felt like, I feel like you either have a choice where you can have a lore rich world or an absolutely free open world where you can do whatever you want. And I feel like this game is giving me both, which I've never mm-hmm. really experienced before and has made it wholly enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. They're really threading the needle on that. And, and in regards to the the lore, you mentioned the the ships earlier. Yeah. Uh, so the world that, that, that Sable exists in is almost most of it is it's desert a Mm. lot of a lot of the space you know there's pockets of uh flora and fauna there's cities and camps here and there there's structures but a lot of the world is is kind of open 
dunes and desert that you're driving over in your hover bike. And uh, there are, they reference these ships that are around um, and you go and find them. They're these giant spaceships. Uh, A lot of them have traversal puzzles inside of them or puzzles that involve these, uh, these giant batteries that you plug in to open different doors. And you can start finding old ship logs Mm -hmm. from people who it sounds like were coming to the planet at one point looking to terraform it question mark uh i'm still kind of like piecing together the lore but you can find these ships scattered throughout the throughout the world and find these interesting piece of lures but in addition to these spaceships i also found a handful of what appeared to be like seafaring ships like Mm. wooden seafaring ships and there's also right at the beginning of the game there's an area near where the first camp is that's called the dam Mm-hmm. That's very clearly a dam that was built to hold out water. And so I'm very interested in the the history of this world. And if I'm going to get more insight into like what, what used to be here, uh, because I'm, I, I, I don't know. I'm just like wondering, like, did this used to be ocean? Is there any chance that this was once our planet? That's mm. now something different, or is this a different planet somewhere in outer space? What's this story that has happened with, uh, with these folks who were coming on the spaceships, how does that all tie in? And all of that is like, it's, it's there for you to find, but it's, you know, say I'm not earning a mask through that. Right. Like the, the quote unquote purpose of what Sable is doing is to find her career path. And you do that by earning badges from folks who work in the different trades uh, by doing missions for them. And, you know, I'll do a mission for a machinist And they'll give me a badge to be a machinist. And once I get three machinist badges, I can trade those in for a machinist mask. And what I found is like, I've accrued three or four different masks so far. So I could go end the game at any point. I could bring Sable back home and say, I want to do this and I want to go live there and, and wrap it all up. But I really feel compelled to continue to explore this mystery. And in the process of doing that, I I came across this, uh, this mission where they send you to find this traveling poet priest who has abandoned her post basically she was supposed to be traveling among the different cities and no one's seen her in months and so you do this this whole quest where you go out and you follow these convoluted clues and you find her out in the middle of nowhere and have this conversation with her where she it sounds like she's basically questioning whether or not she should be doing what she's doing like she's kind of like lost her passion yeah for the priesthood that she's doing but there's a lot of security and mm. wealth that comes from doing the work that she's doing and so she's questioning whether she should be pursuing security mm. and and wealth or if she should be following her passion or looking for a new passion and she asks you these questions and the final question that she asked me she asked if the point of traveling and exploring was to find your purpose or if it was to indulge your freedom. Hmm. And I sat on that question for a long time because I was really trying to figure out what am I doing in this game and what do I want Sable to be doing? I ended up answering that it was to find your purpose. But Sable even says, as she's responding to like, as you're choosing your response, she was like, yeah, what am I doing out here? Am I, am I looking for my path 
or is it important for me to find everything there is to find? And I was like, yeah, as, as a person who's playing this game, who's playing an open world game, who's looking for every map marker, who wants to see everything there is to see, wouldn't the right answer be that I'm indulging my freedom? And, and then I just like got off on a spiral of like, yeah, what, what are we really doing with games? Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing even through playing this game? Am I looking for a purpose? in this game? Am I looking to learn something in this game? Or is it more about the indulgence of freedom? And it's probably both. But I just found the question to be so damn fascinating. Is something wrong with indulging your freedom? What does it mean to you to indulge your freedom? It feels like something would be wrong in that, right? But that's (laughs) probably just like capitalism. (laughs) Right? Right. Like, isn't that... You don't you don't have long on this earth to indulge your freedom. Like we talk about the kind of society we live in, where you know if you're lucky, you have this sort of period after eighteen in your like early twenties, where you're just sort of expected to not know what you're doing, be sort of aimless, and you know that's the time where you're supposed to have experiences. Um, And then when you reach a certain age, you're supposed to settle down, pick a path and start the long, slow march towards the grave. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, it's almost seen as like too late if you to like, if you're someone who like, like, I don't know, I I think about um, a loved one of ours who um, passed away this past year and she was mm-hmm. someone who put off every joy in her life because she wanted to work as hard as she could, make as much money as she could, and then retire and do it all um, mm. in her retirement. But unfortunately, she passed away before she could really enjoy all of those things. And she mm. left behind um, you know, a house full of places that she wanted to go and and art and um like she wasn't able to do any of that because she she saw her young adult life as immediately needing to go into work she never she never dated she never like did any of those things because she thought she could do them later and so it's like mm. our society really puts this pressure on you as a young person to like experience it all and i guess i'm <laughs> Like I guess I'm saying so it makes sense for Sable in this time in her life to be to be indulging her freedom because it's kind of like what the whole point of the gliding is is to have your fun and mm-hmm. and also figure your who you are out and then come back and settle down into your role. Um mm-hmm. and so it's like I don't know there's nothing wrong with that but I also think that that it's I don't know the way that that's phrased like this character mm-hmm. posing that to you is you're indulging your freedom. It does feel like you should be ashamed of that in some way or that it's something that as an adult, maybe she feels like she no longer has the option to. And so there's resentment there that um, there's, yeah. you have this freedom. Well, the, she the question is asked genuinely. She asked three questions. I can't recall exactly what the other two are, but they are, they all are. Um, is this, is X this thing or this thing? And with each answer you give her, she's like, oh, that's really fascinating. Thank you. So Mm. so she is genuinely asking, like, what do you think is, like, why should we be doing this? Why should we be out here exploring? Like, what what is the aim of this? Or is there one? Um, Mm. But, uh, yeah, I just, I think I was putting (laughs) a lot on that question in, like, a lot of my own values and expectations of what's a valuable 
use of time. Did you find any answers? No, but I still feel like I'm wrestling with the question. And now I wonder if I should, like, if it wouldn't have been more honest. Like, I felt like the right answer was that we do this to find purpose. But that's what you said. But that's what I said. Mm. But I think the correct answer, the truthful answer was that I, like, in the game, what I was actually doing with Sable, what Sable and I were actually doing Mm. in the game was indulging freedom. Mm. Because I had, you know... I already have the masks. Like I have an idea of what I would want to do. And yet I'm compelled by the mystery of the past of the world and seeing every corner of the map and find, you know, going up in every cartographer's balloon and seeing the expanse (laughs) of the desert before me and like having that moment. I mean, I guess it's like, I don't know. It's almost sad. I feel like it, it becomes sad where it feels like, that has to end at, for mm-hmm. the game to end, but that you have to give up that freedom. And so I guess I'm trying to like, I'm, I feel like the game isn't necessarily saying that this time is the only time you have to explore. I don't know. I'm, I mean, maybe it is. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think what the game and, neither of us are at the ending yet. So it's hard to say how this will stick the landing. Okay. But I think because it gives you the option to end the game from the moment you've achieved a mask, the option to end the game is there, but there's no, no pressure from the game to do it. Mm. There's no pressure from the game to do it. And so I think, and whether or not this will bear true as, as I, as I come to the point where I'm ready to finish the game, but I, I think what the game is saying is like, you really can make the decision to end the game when you are ready to. Mm. And and just like anyone who goes on a, out on this gliding, when, when you are ready to settle, it's there for you, but it is up to you. I don't think I'm ready, Spencer, in real life. I don't think I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so that's Sable. A game that's asking us to explore the world as much as it's asking us to explore our own interior idea of what it means to grow up Mm -hmm. and find our place in it. I the one the one thing I do have to share. So the game is on Game Pass. Mm. Folks have Game Pass. I think you should definitely check this out, especially if you're into open world games and exploration. I just I think it's such a beautiful opportunity to do that i think it's super impressive that the game was made by two folks unfortunately the game was made by only a few folks and it is doing a lot and it is pretty buggy on xbox uh, which is where i'm playing it right now um i haven't encountered anything that has broken the game yet um but i have had some stuff that's caused some frustrations some things that have ruined some physics puzzles where i've had to actually look up a solution to a puzzle because I couldn't figure out how to do it because something physically wasn't working the way it should have Mm. in the world. Um, So beware of that going into it. But I think there's enough positive going on in the game that it's, it's worth checking out. Just, just be, be, you know, be forewarned. It Mm -hmm. does have some, some technical issues. Yeah. And yeah, like I hope, I hope, it'll keep getting <laughs> worked on and get, I hope, I don't know. Like I really, I love this. I'm, I'm so, 
uh, just blown away by this game and the fact that it was made by two people. So I hope everyone Mm -hmm. buys it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they can keep making awesome games. Yeah. Go support support Shedworks and play Sable, please. Mm -hmm. And thank you. All right. We're going to go ahead and transition over to our interview today. Today, we're chatting with Marcela Huerta. Marcela, who also goes by Marty, is a poet, graphic designer, and currently the community manager at Co-op, an independent worker-owned and run game studio that's developing the upcoming game Goodbye Volcano High, one that Spencer and I are very much looking forward Mm -hmm. to, and one that we definitely had to dig into a bit with Marty during the interview, so look forward to that. (laughs) We also spoke with Marty at length about what it's like working at Co-op, how the flat organizational hierarchy functions, the benefits and challenges of four-day work weeks, how the studio avoids crunch culture, and the personal responsibility of holding not only your colleagues but yourself accountable when working in a system like that. We also heard from Marty about the joys of community management work and the versatility of the role for folks looking to transfer into the industry. And we closed out the interview by really unpacking... Wink, wink. The emotional narrative of this false cozy game breakout (laughs) hit, Unpacking a Life. You didn't like my joke? (laughs) No, I loved it. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Please support me. (laughs) Uh, Spencer and I really enjoyed our conversation with Marty, and we are sure that you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Marcela Huerta. Hello to our wonderful guests, and thank you so much for joining us in the Virtual Pixel Therapy Studio. To start, could you share your name and your pronouns with us? Yes, uh, my name is Marcela Huerta. Uh, you can also call me Marty, uh, and I use any pronouns in gender fluid. And Marty, can you tell us a little bit about how you spend your time? Oof, I mean, I think right now it's a little bit uh, complicated because I'm still very much I'm very much inside my house mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time, but um, I try to spend as much time as possible reading and watching TV shows and mm-hmm. entireties in way too uh, short an amount of time. Um, and uh, other than that, I think honestly, I'm just trying to write a lot and uh, mm. check in on whatever new video game has caught my interest. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And, <laughs> Uh, speaking of video games, um, <laughs> for those at home who may not be familiar, um, Marty is the community manager at Co-op Studio. Could you tell us more about Co-op and what makes it so special? Yeah. So I started working there, uh, on March 2nd, 2020. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> <laughs> Great timing. <laughs> right. I was in office after like uh, working remotely, like on freelance and things like that. Uh, mm. This was the, that was the first time I was like, "Oof, getting on the metro, I don't like it." And then two weeks later, mm-hmm. I did not have to go on the metro anymore. Um, so, thanks, I've universe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I've uh, I've been there for almost coming up on almost two years now. Uh, co-op is a independently uh, run. run uh, worker run studio, uh, which when I was looking into them before I applied, uh, I was really surprised to learn that there's really not a lot of worker owned game Mm -hmm. developers, uh, which I find really interesting because of how collaborative it is as a, as a medium. Absolutely. Um, It really has a lot of coming together from your different fields and making one, one final product kind of like 
film and things like that, where you just have a really collaborative environment. So it is really, it's really sad to know that it's, it's not very common to have this sort of like flat hierarchy in this Mm -hmm. industry. Um, so that really, really appealed to me when I applied, honestly, I wasn't really, uh, looking into jobs in games. Like I come from a publishing Mm. background. Um, but I just was so impressed by that because I think that like a lot of people, I have been deeply impacted by hierarchical, uh, Mm -hmm. workplace, uh, structures and exploited by them. Uh, for as long as I can remember. And there was something really compelling to me about the idea that, oh, not only did I have a voice at a studio, I could potentially have that, but that everyone else would as well. And that it would be taken seriously, not in this kind of way where it's like, oh, you can always bring your concerns to us. (laughs) It's like, no, we're all co-owners together by virtue of this structure that we have all agreed to be a part of, we have to listen to each other. And it's actually been really compelling to me to work somewhere where we have to hold each other accountable. We, Mm. you know, have to work with each other as a group. I've never really had that before in that kind of Mm -hmm. way. Um, We also make really nice games. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to let that slide. Um, (laughs) uh, Nog. Uh, is a really sweet and tender puzzle game um, mm-hmm. that is just like such beautiful sound and music. And uh, we've also made Winding Worlds for Apple Arcade, which is a really, uh, which is a narrative game sort of about mm-hmm. letting go and about helping the people around you and helping yourself, most importantly. And we're currently making Goodbye Volcano High, which is set to come out in 2022. Mm-hmm. And, and we will definitely come back to that and touch on Ooh, it in a minute. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and I was hoping we could go back a little bit and talk about what does it mean to be part of a worker-owned game studio? Yeah. So sort of at its core, it means that everybody at the company has a say in how the company is run. And so, for example, if someone wants to make a game and they're pitching it, uh, we all get a say in whether or not we feel that is a smart direction for the company to go in. Mm. Uh, other things, for example, are that if we want to make a change to our um, work practices, we have to vote to do that. Um, so as a, like a, a good example of that is that recently, I think we started this last April. So April, 2020, I think with everything that was going on with the pandemic and everything, um, people were uh, very stressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was a vote to switch to four day work weeks. Um, Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then uh, there was a big deadline and we had to switch back to five days for like, uh, like five months, I think four or five months. Mm -hmm. And then when the vote came back up, like we had to kind of like test to see like, okay, is it possible for us to do this? Do we need to do this on five day work weeks? And then we tested and we were like, actually, you know what? We don't have to do this with five-day work weeks. So unanimous vote for four days. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. Like basically the day-to-day operations are uh, run with the input of the, the co-owners. Um, not as much creatively. Creatively, we kind of do work within sort of like a, a more structured, like this is an art, art director and then mm-hmm. character artist working with her or, you know, um, having a, a lead producer with a junior producer 
working with them. And so we do have like the creative hierarchies within that. Um, so I don't want to sort of say that it's just kind of like flat across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but structurally in how we run the company, um, it's like a, a co-owner system. So everybody gets input on major decisions. That's awesome. And and I think coming back for a minute to the four-day work week, I mean, in an industry that's specifically known for, it's almost like expected that if you want to work in games that you're going to have to sign up to crunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a given. And it's almost seen as like a badge of honor of being part of this industry, just this complete disregard for mental health and the things that people need in order to live their lives while also contributing to a job. Um, and I'm wondering if you could tell us more about what the impact was of that four-day work week. Like, um, you know, how did it impact the company and how did it impact uh, the employees as individuals? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, uh, like I said, I didn't come from games. And so I was like, crunch, qua, like, what is that? (laughs) You know, like I had never heard that term before. And I've heard other people talk about even just the romanticization of Mm. that term, crunch, Mm. and then even things like uh, I've heard people talk about people that have been in the games industry for a long time as like veterans. Um, Mm. There's this like um, general acceptance and language uh, surrounding games culture that game dev culture that Mm -hmm. feels very like um, it feels like you sign up for an expected exploitation of yourself and your labor. Like, it feels like it's like, you know what you're signing up for. Like, this is what this field is about. And so I think I'm going to be honest. I think that a lot of us, even at co-op, even somewhere where we're really, really trying to combat that we're still uh, a game dev company that's like operating within capitalism. We're not exempt. Mm -hmm. from it, And so we do come up with, we come up against, some issues sometimes where it's like, okay, we have to meet this deadline and we have to keep our health and safety in mind. That's something that we want to hold ourselves to. So how do we do that? And I think it's a lot of of trial and error. Um, I think that the four day work weeks, it was really unbelievable how much of a difference they made to us uh, Mm. in terms of our mental health especially as I'm I'm sure you remember that time, like April, like March, April, May, June, July, August of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep going. Right Right up until today. (laughs) It was rough. Like it was confusing. We were all so unsure. Like I still remember that moment where we were like, oh yeah, I'm taking my computer home for two weeks. And then uh-huh. I come back, you know, uh, it was very confusing. And I think that people really needed that space for themselves, for their personal lives, like for recovery time, downtime. And so I just remember like, you know, when we did have to go back to the five day work weeks, I remember us being like, we don't, we don't want this. Like we're, we're switching back to this because it's been determined that it's necessary for right now, but we remember kind of, you know, flagging that as no, this we've decided officially, this does not work. We need more time. We need more space. Cause when you think about it too, it's like, I mean, so much of our lives uh, often revolve around work. I think what mm. you were saying as well about within game development, um, it is a, uh, it is an industry that rewards overworking Mm. Um, and punishes healthy boundaries. I think especially mm. with 
I, I think about it a lot with my position because it's one that's very online and I have a lot of workaholic tendencies inside of me and overworking tendencies. And it's really, really hard. I am constantly struggling to like set those boundaries. And I think knowing that it is that I'm coming from this company that is really working hard to try to limit things like overtime to make sure that we have, you know, we get lots of vacation time a year, like unlimited sick days, stuff like that. I'm in a much better position than a lot of other people at other game studios. And I still have to kind of like check in with myself and my own um, overworking. And is this absolutely necessary or am I trying to meet a, a standard of, of work in this industry that is unsustainable? And so that mm. it requires a lot of um, accountability with yourself and, and checking in with yourself, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think what you said about, um, you know, the words we use when we talk about people who work in video game development. And I think that extends to, you know, my experiences working in software development that aren't necessarily games. Mm. Um, you know, we have war rooms where people, where developers will meet and strategize and kind of, you know, have a, be a centralized location when deploying something risky. Someone's referred to as a veteran when they've, you know, managed to stay at a mm. company or in the industry long enough um, that they're seen as scarred and grizzled and mm. they've earned that title through quote unquote battle. And so much of the language that we use around it is inherently connoting violence or yes. this idea that, you know, only a certain type of person is a real developer, someone who can work nonstop without breaks, someone who can separate themselves from their bodily needs and their emotions, someone who can just push through or barrel their way forward and, and not, you know, not people who are introverted or people who are soft or people who, you know, aren't interested <laughs> in thinking about their work in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so- and it's you know, fundamentally just, like yeah. hearing you say all of that, sorry to interrupt, but it's fundamentally Please. ableist. It's ableist. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's everything that you're listening. It's like, if you're expected to do those things, you're expected to be that type of worker. Then what mm-hmm. you're essentially saying is that anything outside of that is, is not feasible. It's not accepted. And that is ableist. And so, you know, yeah, like that, that's so true that it limits the type of people and the amount of like different groups of people that can join this industry if that is the expectation. Mm-hmm. I also think when thinking about an organization like co-op, um, you know, the way that you describe it, um, when we were first talking about uh, your interview, um, something that you shared with us is that you're someone who really strongly believes in investing in direct community and in the power of mutual aid. Um, And it does feel like, you know, I think we can get caught up in how do we fix the industry? The industry is so big. These companies are so, they've been around so long. This is just how the way things are. What do we do? And it's easy to feel hopeless and to feel powerless and to be rendered immobile by just the overwhelmingness of all of the work that there is to be done. Um, And I think that there's something really powerful in a group of people coming together and saying, okay, we're not going to fix the whole industry we're just going to build something together and see if it works for us. And then maybe we'll share that out with others and maybe they can do the same. Um, and that feels a lot like mutual aid, like building community um, and, and an affecting change in scalable, achievable ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always think about how, um, like when the, when the company started and when Salim was like uh, 
originally sort of thinking of how they wanted to structure the the company. Um, a lot of the sort of references were like uh, music labels or like uh, like arts mm. umbrellas types of things. Um, uh, with a bunch of people coming together, and I think there's really something special to uh, the way that your instincts uh, as a creator, as an artist, as a as someone that wants to work in whatever industry, like to think about those instincts of like, you know what, I want to build something that's with other people, that's in community with other people, as opposed to I want to be a boss and I want to make money and I want to you know, sell this thing. And I think that my understanding of a lot of these sort of like smaller, like at least my experience with like small businesses is they can sometimes be just as harmful, if not more harmful than like bigger companies, because there's this sort of idea that your work is your life and they're your family and all these things. And I think something that I always used to think about was when I was in those situations of like working as a junior somewhere or or something that was very like family owned vibes or like we're a family is, um, is the inherent hierarchy of that, that is implied like the parents and the kids and, Mm. you know, like the, the idea that, okay, we're a family. And yet somehow you get the majority of the profits of this entire endeavor and I get nothing or like I get the bare minimum or I get minimum wage or I get this or I get that. I get the satisfaction of knowing (laughs) that we're a family. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I get to live knowing that I'm the favorite daughter. (laughs) Mm. I'm just like, it's, I I just always really uh, found it hypocritical and it, and it is a way that you can exploit labor from people is this type of way of saying like, we're all in it together when you're not structurally in it together. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was also, that it's also something that really appeals to me about co-ops and about, you know, companies that are invested in labor rights and worker rights. I think especially because I think that being a part of uh, of a co-op or of something where you have equal like ownership of a company, mm. something about it that I think about a lot is that it requires um, a really huge amount of work, not even just administrative work or like, which it does like, you know, we're, you're always kind of like, okay, let's figure out our like resources for how we're going to do. Is it, is it even legal mm. to give this many vacation days or like, <laughs> how do you do this thing? Or, you know, like you're always figuring things out on your own, but also beyond administratively, it requires a lot of personal work where you have to check in with yourself a lot and kind of say like, how do I feel about this? Or like, mm. how do I want this particular realm of my job to look? Do I, am I able to, to do that on my own? Do I need help? Can I get that help? Also things like making mistakes. That has been a huge thing for me to think about is, you know, coming from workplaces where I did feel like I was like either the most junior person or, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're definitely not the, you're not a co-owner. Um, and so, and you're probably I, also the only trans person. <laughs> I mean, often, yeah. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, hadn't come out yet, but, mm. <laughs> but I was, yeah. I, you know, and also being not being white as well, like things like mm. that. I'm just kind of often feeling like, okay, there are certain things that are important to me that I would like to bring up that I can't bring up, or I don't feel safe to bring up, or something like that. 
But what's interesting is that as a co-owner, like, especially working with like, for example, like freelancers or some contract workers or something like through co-op is that you, it, it has really required me to assess like what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. Um, if I feel like there's something going on, like, oh, I think we're working too much, or I think that there's been a lot of overtime lately, bringing that up or, you know, conflict resolution is its own sort of like separate thing of just like when you're just a group of people trying to make it work together and you're like mm. about trying to hold yourselves to this standard of like a flat hierarchy and things like that. Um, you know, you make mistakes. We're human. Sometimes we cause harm. And I think it's been really, really interesting to me, not only to kind of be like, oh, so this is how you you take accountability in a workplace when you've harmed someone or like, this is how mm. I ask for accountability when I have felt harmed and knowing that is going to happen. We are going to do that. And like, I, I feel really impressed with the way that, you know, when we have had things like, okay, we tried to meet this deadline. We had to work a little bit of overtime, like consistently for, let's say like a month. Um, we don't want to do that again. Okay. How are we going to make it better next time? Um, it's kind of this, I feel like it requires a lot of humility and a lot of um, ability to accept fault in yourself and accept that you're growing and stuff like that. And I think that's really important to me. Like I would have a really hard time going back to a structure that wasn't um, like co-ownership mm-hmm. style. One that didn't make room for the humanity of everyone who works there. Exactly. As you mentioned earlier, um, y'all are working on a really cool game called Goodbye Volcano High that's coming to PlayStation and Steam in 2022. Um, I mean, I basically wanted to play it as soon as I saw the trailer. It's this gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous visual novel slash interactive cartoon starring queer teenage dinosaurs, some of which who are in a band as they face the end of high school and potentially the end of the world question mark (laughs) dot 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 question mark (laughs) as a community manager at co-op um i'd love to hear about what inspires you about the goodbye volcano high community because i know that it's one that's uh, already really rich and getting so excited for the game's release Um, are you involved with sort of that aspect of community management yeah definitely i mean i for me i feel really uh, lucky to get to meet a lot of the people that have joined. I've, I've really never been in sort of like a front facing role that is like interacting with a lot of people on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, obviously uh, existing on the internet and also having done different chat related jobs and things like that. Um, I have definitely talked with lots of people, engaged with lots of people, but it's such a different vibe because I think that the, the thing that I always think about really wanting to do is I think back to being a teenager and Mm. being like, you know, 13, 14, literally calling in sick from school so that I could watch the Benjamin McKenzie OC interview on Regis and Kelly (laughs) and make sure that I transcribed it for the forums. (laughs) (laughs) Every word in that sentence was like dated back to the (laughs) 90s. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that feeling of like loving something with every Mm. fiber of your being or like just like really being invested in, uh, a fictional property or something like a TV show or a book or something like that and really immersing yourself in it. And so I was really, really inspired by that. And by the idea that, um, you know, having come into this job, like I didn't know about 
you know, discord or things like that. And I was like, oh, it really feels, it feels a lot like that golden age of like going on the forums and just like talking about your favorite TV show or something like that. And so I really wanted our discord to feel really cozy and safe and like a place where you could really immerse yourself sort of in a meta way in the world. So we structured it, mm-hmm. um, as, as a group also like other, obviously other people on the team, like had these ideas as well. Like I, it wasn't like a hundred percent me. Um, but, uh, we have this structure, it's like, um, school themed. Right. And so all the, mm-hmm. all the newsletters are like yearbook correspondences and things like that. And, um, we have these like nice little clubs and things like that on the discord. Uh, our, our programmer, Jacob, he does an amazing job making these like custom bots uh, <laughs> for our discord. So it's like, uh, there's like a dinosaur themed tarot reading <laughs> bot that I wrote. And that was, <laughs> let me tell you, a sublime experience writing dinosaur themed tarot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this is so immersive. <laughs> yeah. We really, I think I, I had this thought of like, I just want it. I, I wanted to, as somebody who has no experience marketing, uh, really anything, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, uh, especially like video game, um, I wanted it to feel like how would a teenager market this video game <laughs> mm-hmm. if they if the fandom got to like run this. Um, so I really try to like when there's writing, um, make sort of like in world things. We have a lot of things planned that are more like immersive like that on our Discord and interactive um, for the for the users. But more than anything, like I. I think like I am actually for for a community director, I'm actually very intimidated by the internet, like incredibly intimidated by the internet, um, kind of more so as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I really like the sort of intimacy of the, the types of fandoms that build around indie video games specifically. I have no experience with AAA, obviously this is the only games job I've had. So I really like the way that you kind of get to know people on your discord and, mm-hmm. you know, like hearing about people graduating high school. Like I, I'm, <laughs> you know, like it, it makes me emotional, like to kind of be a presence in someone's life in that, in this very small way. Um, and so I've actually, um, I've tried something that I tried to do a couple months ago was a, uh, a workshop on our discord. And I think I'd like to do more stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. That is kind of more, um, like just sort of scheduled events that are small groups. So I don't know. I think of a lot of the people, everybody that I work with is um, so unbearably talented <laughs> and good at everything. It's like quite shocking and uh, intense, like how good they are at everything. But um, I always think about like, oh, it'd be so nice to, like, what if they could share some of that information? Like when I think about, like, mm. oh my God, what would it have felt like if someone whose work I was following had, you know, taught a workshop online or something when I was a teenager, like I would have totally lost it. So I think that's definitely something I'm, I'm starting to get more interested in is this idea of the sort of smaller scale community that you can build within games, mm-hmm. game development and, and community management that often feels so, so broad. And like, you're speaking into the void, um, trying to be like, Hey, how about them gay dinosaurs? Huh? Like, it's just like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, it can be hard. <laughs> and I think I'm trying to find those like smaller pockets of like, um, you know, obviously marketing the game, but then also 
doing these nice little community building games and exercises and things like that together. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, just as someone who is from a creative background, but had no experience and never, maybe never really saw themselves working in games. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you were a poet. You're also a very talented graphic designer. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for folks who, you know, maybe see themselves as not having the skills that it takes to work in games or feeling like working in games could, is an unachievable pipe dream. Um, like what might you have to say to folks like that? Oh my God, actually so much. I think about it all the time. Because <laughs> I, I will say that I, I found it personally, I found it quite difficult to enter the industry. Um, it feels very much like a fluke that it happened. But also, mm. um, I do find that it is uh, more, I, I've noticed that it's like th- this particular job that I have, like community director, like it, it is a little bit um, one that you can kind of put your foot in the door with a bunch of other skill sets from other places mm. um, and other industries. And so something that I think about a lot in terms of getting into industries that might not have been one that you were um, like walking towards necessarily um, metaphorically <laughs> um, <laughs> is that uh, all of the experiences that you have are translatable in my personal opinion are translatable to whatever other industry that you are trying to get into. So, um, you know, for example, if you're someone who has done a lot of performance or you've um, done a lot of events or things like that, uh, there's a lot of skills in that networking, administration, um, event coordinating, accessibility often, um, and accessibility for events, things like that. Uh, Those skills, those are real skills that you are using in one arena of your life that you can totally take to other places. And I think it's kind of also about whether or not um, those are valued in in society. So as an example, I I did sex chat work. And um, personally, I think that that made me incredibly adept at managing lots of complicated Mm. social scenarios and Mm -hmm. um, made me quick on my feet and good with emergencies and things like that. And I think that that is something that uh, I remember, you know, bringing up in my interview and being like, oof, you know, I'm, I think I'm reading the vibes of this interview correctly. And I think I'm safe to, I'm safe to Mm. share this and sharing it and being like, yes, like that is totally a transferable skill. Design is a totally transferable skill to community management. Um, same with writing. Actually, a lot of those skills, like I think, I mean, I personally have a lot of thoughts on how community management seems to be this bin that contains 10 different jobs for some reason, <laughs> but that's its own thing. Like I, I definitely have my, my issues with that as a concept <laughs> across the board, but, right. <laughs> but it is, it is a field that you can really, um, take a lot of other skills and transfer them like, like immediately into that. And then for other, for other sorts of roles, you know, I think about like lots of friends that I have that are, for example, like animators or illustrators, like those are, you know, if if that is your field, you can totally take that into games and do that within games. And especially if you have like good supportive leadership that can kind of help you transfer those skills over. Um, I think that it is actually an industry that does lend itself really well. I think especially because at least my experience with everybody that I have met 
it is such an open and welcoming industry mm. in the circles that, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about like queer game devs, like BIPOC game devs. It's like unbelievable the amount of information that everyone is willing to share. Yeah. Take my spreadsheet. Yeah. Like take this information. Yeah, of course. Like, do you need this? Do you want this write up? Do you want this thing? Like, this is how I do this. This is my Jira. This is your, you know, like, it's like, (laughs) there's just such, there's so much sharing. And I think that that's something that's really actually super beautiful about the industry is that people are really open with each other, really community oriented. I think, especially in like smaller game dev like communities and things like that. Like it, it, it's really lovely. And so I think it's like for anybody that was interested in, in getting into games, it's kind of just about like finding these little pockets that you feel like, oh, I really connect with these people. I really connect with these people signing up for mentorships like uh, Pixels or, you know, Code Coven, things like that. Like there's, I find that there's just so many wonderful opportunities and it is actually like as somebody who like grew up poor and thinks about money like 24 7 it is an industry that has a lot of money in it and Mm. and oftentimes there is this desire whether it it's it's often i'm sure like well intentioned sometimes i'm sure not well intentioned of like oh shit we've been told there is a problem here we have been told there's a problem it's not diverse or that you know all these things um, within the industry. And then now you kind of get these correctional Mm -hmm. uh, efforts. And I kind of think it's important to just like take advantage of those things when they appear, because it's, if, if you are someone that would not necessarily be like, oh, this is the sort of status quo of who we expect to go into game development, like a, a cis white man who, you know, did a very specific type of school. Oh my God. I'm like so ignorant about game dev stuff. I literally am like, you know, like game school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> game school. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you know, like if you don't, if you don't fit that descriptor, then like you are needed. You're like needed in this mm-hmm. industry deeply. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what I feel. Absolutely. I mean, that resonates. Uh, uh, Jamie and I have definitely found, you know, just launching this podcast and getting it off the ground over the past year and a half. Um, you know, there were, it was indie devs and queer creators and cutie pock creators and people who understand how alienating the industry can be and how hard it we all have to claw and fight for our little spaces and every day we log on and hope that today won't be the day that we're docs that we're attacked mm-hmm. that we're mm-hmm. you know hate rated and mm-hmm. it's like it i feel like it fosters this real sense of just camaraderie like it's it's amazing how and i don't mean to trivialize how difficult it is to break into this industry at all and it's incredible how many people are willing to respond when you ask a question. Like when you find the courage to ask that question, to make Mm -hmm. that ask, it's incredible how receptive people within this industry are and how excited they are to say yes. Uh, And it's just a beautiful thing. I I really, really agree with everything that you're saying. (sighs) (sighs) Totally. Yeah. It's, it's so special because I think that it's, we do ourselves as creatives such a disservice when we, gatekeep each other Mm. out of spaces and of course that comes from trauma and that comes from um at least you know when you live within a marginalized identity or multiple 
marginalized identities, um, you're used to being kept out of spaces and maybe there's just the one space and you're fighting for the one space. And so um, I think that as a community, kind of the way that um, I've noticed that we kind of come together and lift each other up and recognize that you know, there's not one space in this industry mm. that gets for this any particular role. Like, I just think it's it's just great. Now, Marty, on this podcast, we love to talk to folks about video games that have had a big impact on their lives. Um, you mentioned Unpacking, which is a game Ooh. that we are literally obsessed with. Um, oh. <laughs> from developer Witch Beam, Unpacking came out right at the end of October of this year, 2021. Um, it's a game about the surprisingly soothing activity of unpacking boxes and finding mm. a place for all of these items that make up a life. Um, and Marty, how would you sort of describe this game to someone who's never heard of it? Oh my God. So I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think a couple ways. Um, how would you like to (laughs) surprise yourself with the depth of feeling that you will encounter from opening a box and emptying it? (laughs) 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 And also I think, I definitely mentioned how soothing and meditative of a game it is. And mm. it also contains so many deeper messages and really gorgeous visual storytelling. Um, yeah, honestly, you know what? I think honestly, I would even say, don't even, don't even look it up. Just play it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like one of those to me. It's all in the name. Just download. You know Oof. what it's about. Just download it. <laughs> and it's and on after, Game Pass. That's right. And then, <laughs> and then after you're like, oh, you know, I did unpack. I unpacked so much more than I unpacked a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, uh, Marty. You mentioned that the visual storytelling and unpacking really resonated with you on a number of levels. Um, maybe we'll start with, um, you know, you mentioned how. As someone who spent a long time in the closet and yeah. wasn't even out to yourself, uh, it yeah. really resonated. Could you say more about that? Oh my God. Yes. I I was really unprepared for how this game was going to affect me. And mm. to talk about the visual storytelling for a second, like, you know, when this game came out, like that week, that week, Twitter was kind of, you know, talking a lot of shit about this boyfriend. And I mm. think before I had played the game, I was sort of prepared for a lot of like dialogue cues and things like that. And, you know, the fir- played the first couple levels and was like, I'm not getting a lot of like dialogue de- like <laughs> cues or anything like that. And yeah. And I'm just getting this one little like line at the end of each level. And then I was just like, Oh, I'm that this guy. That's going to be what it is. And when I got to the level where the protagonist moves in, um, is, is unpacking in their, what seems like boyfriend's house. I, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you feel that, that visual contrast between the the previous times where even if you're sharing a space with like college roommates or, um, you know, you, I think that's, that's most of it, like college roommates. And then like your first place with like a bunch of roommates type of thing, even within those spaces where you don't necessarily like have your own house or something, you have space visually, you can find Mm -hmm. things in places that make sense to you that, you know, there's always like a little bit of room for you or someone has cleared out the drawer or something like that. 
And to get to that level where I felt so alone Mm -hmm. in this man's house where there was no space for me really anywhere. It was like just shoving my clothing into the closet, um, putting all my stuff wherever it would fit. Like that image of all of the, um, all of the weights on his like little weight thing. And then me putting my little like three three pounders right at the end. Like, thanks a lot. I hid mine under the bed. Yeah. (laughs) So speaking about putting it under the bed, oh my God, God. I cannot even get into, like I, when I had to put my fucking degree under the bed and it was, and when I got to that final thing, cause I was like, oh, there's, I can't find a spot for this. Like, I, uh, I'm just going to leave it for now and then I'll, 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 you know, put everything else up. And then when I realized that the only space that I could put my certificate was either above the fucking toilet or under mm-hmm. the bed, I literally, I, I started crying and I was so shocked that I mm-hmm. that it had gotten me in this type of way where I just felt like the sort of, um, that feeling of making yourself small for yes. a man or making mm-hmm. yourself small for any, any sort of for, for society, for, to fit in, um, that, that feeling of having to put my degree under the bed. Ooh, that mm. shit hurt my feelings. I was yes. Like, <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe I just had to do this. Like this. Yeah. Game. And that you led me here, that this game just like led me here in this beautiful <laughs> way. But just mm-hmm. the way that you feel in that level so much of what you're hiding, what, what that character is, is like having to hide of themselves, like can't show these parts of themselves. Like they're, their little interests and like the the statues and the toys and things like that, that there's no space for them, that there's no space for them in this house, in this life, that there's Mm -hmm. no space for them. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of contrast that with later on in the game, when you are unpacking your girlfriend's uh, things (laughs) into your house that you move into by yourself, you know, like it's even just that, that feeling, it's, it was really like such an interesting contrast to feel, to have that same process of unpacking in the the level with the boyfriend and to feel so alone. And then to have this, this, this literally the exact same experience of unpacking with unpacking your girlfriend's uh, things. And then just kind of feeling like that, that interconnectedness of your guys's lives, like the beautiful objects and like how you have made space for this in your life. It definitely, it made me think a lot about when, when I have kind of engaged in, in like, um, Oh my God, watch me forget the term compulsory heterosexuality mm-hmm. or, you know, um, being someone that grew up low income. And I think I do sometimes unpack in therapy. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the ways that I have um kind of placed myself in relation to men at times in a sort of um in a way that made it so that I felt safe within the confines of capitalist society mm-hmm. and, and white supremacy almost you know like that that I had this life that was deemed society societally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um and that within that there was often very little space for all of me for myself and in in my many complexities and you know at the time I wasn't out as even to myself as as gender fluid and didn't even know that was what I was feeling all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and so I think that that I really related to this feeling of having to put parts of myself under the bed because that was the only place that they could fit 
Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that because I, I was surprised too at how much I was affected by, mm-hmm. by those same levels. I think going back to the douchey boyfriend's house, um, mm-hmm. one of the first things I did in the bedroom was I, and I, my heart rate is increasing just talking about this because it's so yeah. visceral, but I yeah. went into the bedroom, I opened the drawer where I was meant to put my clothes and I saw that all of his socks and underwear were strewn, strewn across the drawer. And immediately my stomach dropped because as I'm sure you can relate, I have been in that exact position where a man inviting me to move in with him, quote unquote, actually means a man replacing his mother with me. Ooh. And as someone who, <laughs> uh, you know, I think a lot of my early 20s relationships with cis men were defined by constantly having to negotiate my validity as a non-binary person and then as a trans masculine person. And no matter what they said, oh, I'll use your they, them pronouns. Oh, I see you as a boy, except when we're having sex. Oh, I don't wish that you would grow your hair out long again, even though I kind of do. And I'm just saying that to your face where that, where I would know that they were inherently still placing me within that gender role in their heads would be things like that, where putting clothes away meant that I also needed to pick up after him and make sure that his shit was organized. Fitting myself into his life meant that I inherently needed to do some kind of cleanup or some kind of you know, like I was being put very much into a role, regardless of whatever they were telling me about their allyship. And so what you said about that, me too, I I really, I felt the tears prick when I realized, like I, it took me forever to finish that level because I was like, where the fuck am I going to put my diploma? Did I put something away wrong? Did I, did I not like, did I put something, was there somewhere else this can go? And then when I, and two, when I realized under the bed triggered the level complete, I was like, oh, Um, yeah yeah. and then moving to the next phase where and so for folks who haven't played the game essentially you thankfully you break up with this dude move back (laughs) home for a bit and then you're moving into this next place where as you open the boxes you start taking out your familiar you know your dresses your boots your things like that Mm -hmm. and then you realize there's two dresses or there's multiple makeup sets or, uh, you know, this person, like in my head canon, I was kind of like a soft butch, like yes. kind of non-binary <laughs> person. And my partner was this like high femme, high femme. like really cute, uh, like anime, like, and just the joy, <laughs> you could feel the joy in the, the diff, you could feel the diff, I don't know. And I couldn't even place it, like what it was, but it wasn't just the items that the douchey boyfriend had, but like yeah. how they were arranged in a way that was inherently hostile and versus 100%. putting stuff together with, um, you know, this, this new partner, um, there was just such a feeling of we are building this space together. together we yeah. see each other. Um, and, and that made me cry too, because like the first time that I allowed myself to be with another queer person and just uh, the power of being seen and, and the power yeah. of being given space, as you said, like the space to grow and the space to grow together and, and the space to exist on your own and not have to define yourself in relation to this other person you're living with. Like all of that was felt. Yeah. And to think that that is, you know, to bring up the visual storytelling again, to think that yeah. that is done through 
symbolizers, like these, these yes. symbols, symbols of experiences that we're familiar with having moved into different spaces in our lives. The, the fact that you do, you get to build that headcanon yourself, like you were talking about, like, oh my God, that, that exact, like when I was, I remember like, oh yeah, I'm putting up my beautiful girlfriend's dress up in the yes. closet, like this person, you know? <laughs> the, even just like the, the ways that you, you know, you start pulling out her like plushies and you like put them on mm-hmm. like, with yours, like that you, that you have this shared intimacy that you can feel, um, is just so, it's uh, such powerful storytelling. It's, it's really special. Mm-hmm. Marty, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on oh the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can folks follow you and keep up with your work? Ah, thank you. This was such a blast. I uh, I really loved this. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, you can find me on my website at marcellahuerta.com. Um, it's M-A-R-C-E-L-A-H-U-E-R-T-A. Um, and uh, I'm at Marsmella, confusingly with two L's because I, I, I've always refused to misspell things, even though it's not the way my name is spelled. <laughs> it causes a lot of uh, issues. But at Marsmella, anywhere on Instagram or uh, Twitter, anything like that. Um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> awesome. Marty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a blast. is up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Thank you so much to Marty for recommending these two um, awesome local to Montreal organizations. Um, Number one is the Black Healing Fund, a growing volunteer-run initiative that exists to provide low-income Black folks in the Montreal area with discretionary funding and resources that contribute to mental health and wellness. You can learn more and donate to this fund at blackhealingfund.com slash donate. And secondly, um, I'm excited to talk to you about Resilience Montreal, a nonprofit day shelter offering food, a place to sleep, clean clothes, and support to anyone in need with the goal of giving folks a safe, supportive environment to spend their time. To donate, you can email resilience.volunteer at gmail.com and check out their website at resiliencemontreal.com. Marty also mentioned that they also really recommend looking into reparation distribution efforts in your city. It's the best way to you know, contribute to mutual aid and a place where you can make a ton of impact is right in your own neighborhood. Absolutely. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. therapy. Bye-bye.